G'day everyone, it's James Davis from the Pakistan Academy down here in APAC and truly blessed today. I've got Hari from Amenio Pursuits joining me. Thanks for thanks for spending some time with me today, Hari. You're absolutely welcome, James. And uh, as you know, my full name is Gurunath Hari. Uh, you and I go back a long time when I wanted to make the world simpler for me to be called Hari, but these few days, I wouldn't say days, maybe these few years, uh, people have chosen to call me Guru, so, <laughs> and that's fine with me as well, so, uh, I used to resist being called Guru in the in my younger days because I thought I was absolutely not fit to be called it, even now I don't feel I'm fit to be called it, but uh, it's just that, you know, I was at Salesforce doing a big project for them and uh, the VP I was reporting to, you know, asked me if Guru would be okay with me and I said that's perfectly fine because that is part of my name so feel free to call me whatever you like but I go to the official or the nickname of Guru these days well you've got a lot, lot of wisdom to share so the, the nickname the nickname suits and you're based over in Singapore aren't you that's right James yeah absolutely so, well, a bit of a different um, climate to down here in tropical Hobart so <laughs> <laughs> Less people who don't know where Hobart is get the wrong impression. It's far away from the tropics. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's. Um, I'm really excited to have you on, and thank you again for your time. And I thought I thought I'd ask you. You, you spend a lot of time around um, working with HR and um, senior leadership around employee wellness and, and corporate wellness programs and yeah. I thought I'd ask you what are people doing that isn't working? I think uh, James uh, from what I know uh, I think I can hazard and safely say that 99% of leaders don't have a clue what employee wellness really is and I say that with humility and I don't blame them. So when you are charged with running an organization with employees, I don't know, you know, in your ecosystem, you probably have 50 to 5,000, I don't know. But then when you are at the helm of the affairs and you are tasked with running a business, uh, and given that today there is a big recognition that employee well-being is a cornerstone of so many business results, can you imagine running a ship not knowing where the sea is or you know where the controls are? So that's how critical the ignorance level is. And from there, all sorts of aberrations stem from it. Because when you don't know what it is, uh, you land up looking at the you know nearest shining object and you latch onto it. So that's what is not happening today. Uh, leaders really don't know what it means. They don't know why it should be there. Uh, they have a vague idea that it has something to do with, you know, employee reduced attrition, things like that, but they don't know how that really works. So it's a huge topic, uh, and uh, I'll maybe let you ask me the next question, but that's what's not happening. Yeah, okay. So with such a high ignorance level, and maybe it's worth starting then. What is proper employee wellness? So. Let me not start answering you straight away what wellness is, but starting one step before that as to why is it necessary? And then I'll tell you what it is. 
if you look at how the uh, workplace has transitioned in the last hundred years, we all know the famous, you know, industry 1.0, 2.0, and now we're probably 4.5.0. So what's changed is we moved from being the caveman mentality to being knowledge workers. And along with that transition in the human evolution, uh, our ability to understand what makes us work has also expanded. So in today's world, fast forward, we use the brain a lot. And when we use the brain a lot, we realize that we start thinking about what's not working with us. Until then, our ancestors, they never had time to think about what's not working with them. They were so engrossed with what's in front of them, the tools, the schedules. If you go to the famous modern time by you know Charlie Chaplin, you can see how mechanical everything was, right? So today it's not like that. So with that acute awareness of the mind being uh, either subconsciously or consciously in the play, uh, it has changed the way human beings operate. And this was being made even more acute <clears throat> during the pandemic. So pandemic people were literally locked into their houses and they had to reflect on themselves all the time. And that's when they realized how screwed up they were. Sorry for my French. <laughs> right? And then that impacted many things. It impacted their physiology, that impacted their social connections, their relationships. It impacted some of their finances because some people were laid off and didn't know what to do. And then you have this, you know, fancy phenomenon called uh, the great, you know, uh, what do you call it, the re resignation and all these fancy terms which you never have heard of. So what ultimately it boiled down to is that there is something called well-being of, of a human being. And then when you start deconstructing well-being, you realize that's the fountainhead of everything that the person is capable of doing. So I'm still on the why, okay? Because the mm -hmm. what is very simple. Why is very important to understand. So, you know, uh, there are three components to being able to produce results. Readiness, willingness, and ability. I can be ready to go out for a party. I can be willing to go out for a party. But if the door is locked from the outside, I can't leave my house to go out to the party. <laughs> So you need these three components. The, the door may be open, I may be willing, but I don't have the right dress, so I'm not ready. I may have the right dress, the door is open, but I don't have the mojo to go for it. I'm not willing. So for all these three things to be firing, you really need to have a human being <clears throat> who is holistically well. There, that's where the keys for these three are, readiness, willingness, and ability. And that is why human well-being is so important. Because everything what the human being produces, the words I produce, you know, where you're sitting and asking me questions, the world goes around on human well-being. So why is it important? Because the world has to go around. Now, what happens if you're not at your peak? That's the next topic we can talk about. Yeah, you can still produce some outcomes. Like what I'm telling you today, if I had a headache, 
some words will come out of my mouth. I don't have a headache, so I'm at my peak right now. But yeah, you will still have a podcast, but the quality of the podcast will be mediocre. That is where I'm pitching why well-being is so important. And we'll talk on peakism in a short mode. So that's the why part, right? Now, what is employee well-being? What it is, in my research, and as you know, um, James, I had authored a book not too long ago. And that book is, let me see if I can capture it somewhere here. It should be in my, yeah, here it is. So this is the book I wrote. It's called The Six Dimensions, Overcome Presenteeism, Excel in Work and Life, right? So my research showed that there is another very, um, what should I say, um, tactical and immediate need for well-being, which was the problem of presenteeism. So now I'm going to tell you what is employee well-being. Employee well-being is a state and employee wellness is a pursuit. So that's the what, okay? The well-being is a state, wellness is a pursuit. Wellness leads to well-being. Now, that's still amorphous. So when you deconstruct well-being, think of it in the, in the, in the form of the white color, light. Okay, it's white light. But you and I know that white light actually consists of seven different colors that get mixed up to then form the white light, correct? Mm. Violet, indigo, blue, green, yellow, orange, and red. Well-being is a bit like that. There are multiple components that go to form a holistically well human being. When you put it like that, it becomes a so obvious doesn't it in terms of um those challenges since covid and a lot of that absenteeism you, you're talking about present uh presenteeism. Presenteeism. um the a lot of what i'm seeing from owners and leaders they're really struggling to get that engagement and buy-in that we might have even been able to get four or five years ago it's not even a a long time like you were just explaining so I'm really curious to hear you mention peakism and, mm-hmm. and the six components. Do you want to, do you want to talk us through? Because I'm assuming this is going to build out that how to view people and their well-being and their state that you, you just described. Sure, James. Look, uh, the the reality is, James, all owners, and I was one too. We all want to maximize our return on our investment right so we invest in office space we invest in people among other things so as a employer you want to get the best output from these investments so you have cash capital and you have human capital and you want to get this human capital to produce the best they can now for that to happen you and i we know cricket right we need our players to be at the peak of our, you know, fitness and everything else, correct? Yes. So that is precisely what peakism really is. Peakism is having employees who are at their peak performance levels all the time. Now, that's the holy grail. Can somebody, can a human being be at the peak of the performance all the time, anytime, everywhere? Maybe not. But if that concept didn't even exist, you wouldn't know what to shoot for. That's why I introduced the concept of peakism. 
So what is peakism? Peakism is the habitual behavior of employees wanting to come to work holistically well in order to perform at their peak for their own self-fulfillment. That's a really good aim and that goes back to what you were saying about the, it's a pursuit. Uh, you, you've got to set the bar high and you need to know where you're aiming for so you're driving driving for something. So what 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 gets in the way of peaks? Oh, a ton of things, James. Uh, pretty much <clears throat> some of these are self-inflicted. Some of these are, of course, beyond their control. The lack of awareness, first of all, about this need of what are the six dimensions of well-being or wellness is the first step. So I'll give you a simple example. Uh, let's say you and I know a friend uh, who's probably in his 20s, maybe 30s. And this could be a female or a male. And we'll keep life simple. We'll just go with two genders here. And uh, they had a breakup, let's say. Okay, And the breakup can be with their partner. That partner can be the same gender or different gender. I really don't care. But they had a breakup. Now, I don't know you, about you, but have you ever had a person like that who had a breakup come and talk to you, Banishan? Yeah, I have. Several times. Right. And when you are trying to help out a person like this, what kind of behaviors do you think this person demonstrates about their view of the world when they're going through this? They're very negative and they've been thrown into a lot of chaos and it's not being able to think clearly. That's right. usually what I've experienced. Exactly right. So what happens is when, when a human being doesn't know that you know this wellness actually has different components and different dimensions, unique dimensions are impacted based on what we are going through, these people become incapable of compartmentalizing it to that single dimension. So in our example, when a person is actually having a breakup or going through a breakup, in my research, you can isolate that to only the social dimension. That might be firing a curiosity for you. So what are the other five dimensions? Mm. And I'll tell you what those are. Those are financial, physical, spiritual, mental, and environmental. The sixth one is social. And it doesn't have to be in that order. Right? So, if I'm a student of, you know, human well-being, then I know that when I'm going to get into a situation like this, it doesn't affect my finances. I can still go to the gym and exercise. doesn't affect my physical. My other friends are still intact. The place where I live, where I work is still the same. That's my environment. And mentally, I'm not taking any drugs to you know fi fix my mind. It's only the social impact that's happened. I just had a problem with my partner. 
and that could be behavioral, it could be triggered by that person, you may not be at fault at all, it can be many things, or that person could be at fault, right? So suddenly you realize that what was all mixed up and meshed up in our minds, making the whole world look, you know, like negative, you just compartmentalize it to say that, okay, I have a relationship issue here. And now you look at all the other five dimensions that you have, which you can leverage to help you overcome the challenges in this one dimension. And suddenly you find yourself self-equipped. If you have a question, you ask me. If not, I'll give you another example. <coughs> Sorry. I'm finding it very fascinating and I'm getting caught up in the, the, the examples which I, I just find this so important. Like you've set out the why of employee well-being is everything um, and how we, how we function. And what immediately sprung to my mind was the dimensions help break this down and what you said you know, compartmentalise. But how, if I'm an owner and I'm seeing this happening in my employees, they don't have that self-awareness like what you mentioned earlier on in the piece, how would I even go about guiding them through this um, to, to help them compartmentalise it? Right. So the how is a very important question, James. So we talked about the why. We talked about the what. Okay. I gave you a partial answer on the what in my initial introduction. And right now, I'm giving you more of the what. I'm telling you that holistic well-being has six dimensions. And I just laid out what the six are. Financial, physical, social, spiritual, environmental, and mental. Right? So, now the question is the how. Great question. The how is where I wear my educator hat. Because how is always about either you experience it yourself or it's taught to you and then you practice it. Correct? Yep. yep. That's what I do. So for most of my clients, um, once we engage, we then look at what could be certain business problems that they are facing. It could be revenue, it could be attrition, it could be uh, culture, it could be values, it could be multiple things. Right? So then based on what is the problem they're trying to solve, I then, you know, figure out, I have a methodology where I look at diagnosing what the challenge is. And based on the diagnosis, we then co-create, this is the how part, okay? The leader, the owner, or the CEO and I, we sit down and we co-create, and the HR may be involved, of course, to see what should the solution look like. Most likely, there will be an enablement component required. There will be a well-being component required. Now, whenever enablement and well-being comes for a topic that people are not aware of, unfortunately, you have to teach it. I can't push somebody off the cliff and say, now you figure out how it feels to fall, right? Yeah, so then the how part is you have workshops. So I conduct uh, very customized workshops that typically involve uh, what I would call leader orientation and then of course employee orientation so that the whole organization understands the concepts 
understands why it's important, understands how it's going to help them become happier in their workplace, and that inadvertently will produce the business results. And again, I want to be realistic. This is not a magic you know, pill or a silver bullet. It's not. Because if there are factors that are beyond the business's control that are impacting the business, yeah, you'll have to fight through it. But guess what? It builds resilience in the organization. What would have either resulted in the organization crumbling because of the external factors like maybe economic crisis, political crisis, financial crisis, but when you have an organization that's really well and at its peak, you will find that employees are quickly able to adapt themselves. So short of external factors putting pressure on the business and preventing it from succeeding, if there are internal factors an organization can absolutely break free over a period of, you know, a, a, a limited horizon of time. And that's absolutely uh, tested. What you said there, the word resilience, um, and again, putting my educator hat on and my experience is we're seeing a, that generation of the people in their early to mid-20s that don't have a lot of that resilience and don't have a lot of this self-awareness, but much to your point at the very start is they think a lot more um, than probably even what I did, let alone the older generations, that they're not f well equipped for the workforce. Um, and what you just said there around this education and enablement piece, it's someone actually needs to teach them this stuff before they hit the crisis. Yeah. I love what you said, Davis, and I want to just put a fine point to what you said. Uh, <clears throat> you mentioned about the Gen Z, as I would call them, right? Yeah. Um, and they're not fit to be in the workplace, right? Something to that effect. Ironically, the workplace has changed. They are still human beings. But the workplace, which used to have a component of tactile work in combination with mental work has now completely shifted to almost zero tactile work and 100% you know brain work so the only tactile thing we do is with our mobile phones or with our keyboard right there is no more holding stuff there's no more touching you know objects that are different from your keyboard just think about it just think about what are things we are touching today we're only touching the mobile phone, maybe a fork and a spoon when we're eating, and that's it. That is really it, isn't it? You're right. Everything is press. You can open a car by pressing your car keys. You can open your main door by pressing your door key. You come home, you touch your mobile phone. You go to the kitchen, fix yourself a drink. You touch a few vessels and a few spoons and plates. Just imagine. Dramatic change, isn't it? It is dramatic. So, you have a lovely chest of drawers behind you. Now, you at least have something different to do. You've got to pull out those drawers. <laughs> you're then flexing your bicep, you're flexing a bit of your tricep. There's something happening there at least. Yep. How many of these people today work in the today's workplace required to even know that they have a tricep you're right unless you're doing an actual physical trade it's all it's all mental it's all mental 
that wasn't the way during my dad's time. My dad was a scientist, for example, and he was a researcher doing work on uh, the uh, Earth's geomagnetic field. So he would have to go to the underground positions where there were seismographs which were recording the you know seismic activity. He would then look through telescopes. He would then study certain patterns. There was a lot of tactile work that he used to do. He used to flip pages. He used to carry books. All different textures, different materials, different weights. He used to get help to carry batteries to go and you know go to his research place where they had to power up certain machinery to measure stuff. It was all of those kind of things. And that's a scientist of those days. Forget about talking about coolies and welders and plumbers. They always are very tactile, right? Yeah. But today, what are scientists doing? Screen, keyboard. Mm. It's only those few people, if you look at the Titanic, which recently happened, the Titan and all that unfortunate things. It's only those few five or six individuals who are actually on the vessel who are doing some real tactile work. But the guys who are sitting in their ship, looking at what's happening, screen, keyboard, that's it. Mm. So the workplace has transformed and transitioned so radically that uh, I won't blame the Gen Zers. They are innocent. Uh, we, the seniors, have given them this world and I believe I'm hopefully one of those few seniors who are trying to help them and equip them to be able to flourish in this world that we have given them as an inheritance. By then making them aware of these dimensions and then giving them the means to know how they should equip themselves in this very strange and new workplace. Equipping them is a very good word because I think there's there's two benefits, well there's multiple benefits, but there's a few benefits that I see. Not many businesses are equipping the younger people to succeed in their in their work life, um, and very much to your point around, it's not tactile. There's less um, entry level jobs. It's a lot more knowledge work. Yeah. They're very clever people. They're a clever generation, and this sort of this sort of education will they will buy into it and. It, equip themselves and they'll be better for it but it also is a great um, workplace um, perk perk's probably not the right word but a a benefit from working at places that actually invest in their people like that because not many do not many take the time to to treat them more than just like a number like what you said very early on in the session as well so I think that's that's some great advice Um, and I'm going to jump around a little bit and go back to the six dimensions because you've got me intrigued you you told us what the six were um, and what do you see are the typical challenges that come from there what are the the typical things that affect the business out of those six dimensions the first thing to remember James is while I have deconstructed you know, overall holistic well-being into six dimensions, um, they are actually interconnected. Yeah. They actually play off each other constantly. We don't even know it. And that's why it was so important and not so easy to kind of break it out and find out what are the elements over there. And as a footnote, I can tell you that many organizations have 
different ways of breaking it down and some people don't have some people have missed out some very important dimensions uh, like for example uh, there's a uh, holistic wellness institute if i'm not mistaken in the us uh, which were probably among the pioneers who talked about you know dimensional well-being and in those good old days in 1970s when they came up with the idea being united states they don't even have a financial dimension so you know it's completely inadequate in today's world you cannot have overall well being if you don't have financial well being right yeah so that's a footnote but you ask me but what are some of the challenges right so the important thing here is that uh, to know again if you know the stuff the challenges melt away so awareness building is one way to overcome challenges but typically the challenges as i mentioned to you in our earlier example james is the inability of people to isolate a problem to where it really belongs so the moment you have a problem like so example let's talk about some you know local issues right or recent issues layoffs is the reality of our life today right so when layoff hits what happens typically right there are people who have been employed for maybe 6 years 10 years in the job getting good salaries you know of course working the tail end off if they want to they bring on the toxic culture or whatever culture they have but if the layoff hits them i would say maybe 20% of them are happy about it okay about 5 to 10% would be completely destroyed so you have the happy you have the destroyed and in between you have all shades of different levels of <laughs> disappointment you know disagreement uh, and all of those emotions that's there that happens when people are getting laid off so a lot of the times as a data scientist you can get some information from the outliers outliers demonstrate extreme emotions but in data science sometimes you knock the outliers off because you just want the main sample right but in these cases when you're having socio psychological and those kind of behavioral issues outliers sometimes are very important they tell you what what's happening and what's going on in the middle so typically an outlier looks at this loss of a job as the end of life i'm completely i don't know what to do they're just blank the guys who are on this other spectrum are at different levels of being blank this guy is totally blank right so the challenge is if this person or this organization had undertaken some kind of investment in making these employees aware of these well-being aspects they will actually be able to dialogue with these employees in that language it's such a huge opportunity loss because today if an layoff is being announced you can take any ceo letter okay you what will you get to hear james the ceo you know like before the layoff is happening what are they going to tell the employees usually Are they usually preparing them for it to come and they're talking about the economic downturn they're talking about the the conditions of the market it's the same things isn't it Absolutely the same stuff 
you know, we had projected our growth to be this way, it wasn't this way, our cost factors cannot support the revenue we are getting. It's That's it, right? But if you already have an organization where the leader has had the vision and the foresight to also grow well-being of employees, he or she at the CEO level can then talk on more points on this topic of layoff itself. He or she can say, and as you know, my dear employees, you've all been through the well-being courses and the well-being culture that we have. You know that this layoff is only going to impact one or two dimensions of your well-being, maybe your finances a little bit. But guess what? Even if you think your social well-being is being compromised, I would encourage you to keep in touch with your employees, with your colleagues, even if you're not in the organization. I would encourage you to continue going to the gym so that your lifestyle and your well-being is not compromised. Yes, being laid off will compromise your financial well-being. But hey, you know what? We are here for you. Your colleagues are here. Whoever is going to be still employed, you can still be in touch with them. So imagine your whole, the tone of what you're communicating before your layoff, when you're giving them a big slap saying, I'm going to let you go. But then you also add this little bit of a, you know, ointment or a balm to say that, hey, you know what? The world is not coming to an end. No CEO talks like this. Zero. They don't even bother. They say, okay, you'll get a company. It's all very cold. You know, you'll get one month for every year work, whatever, and that's it. You're done. What? Why is that? Lack of awareness, James. Yeah. And there, there are very few people like me who are there to evangelize this. That's also a problem. A. B, I don't have a big loud horn. I'm, I suck at marketing. I'm an author. I'm an entrepreneur, but I, I just absolutely don't have the skills or the patience or the bandwidth to market myself. And I'm okay with it. And I'm happy with the clients I have. But yes, we need more people who can do this. It's a massive, massive uh, moral duty. And of course, it does come with some revenue uh, aspects as well. Of course, it's a business, right? So it's a massive opportunity. Well, keeping that in mind, so we, I, I'm fascinated. I could talk to you all day. I just love hearing your wisdom, and I hope the people who are listening along have gotten a lot out of this talk. Well, to wrap up, like, if where what would you want people to really take away from this and and do as a next step? Yeah. Irrespective of which country your partners are, your audience is, try to reach out to people who are like me, who have done some research, who have authored a book, who have been in this field and who understand holistic well-being. Not mental health. This is the big problem that's going on today. People are maniacally focused on mental health, mental health. If you talk to a clinical psychologist, they will tell you that the root cause of mental illness is rarely in the mind. As we go back to our example, if there's a breakup, 
it affects the person's mental health. But do you think solving him mentally is going to fix his problem? Yeah, no. It won't. You have to ask what is what was it that was behaviorally not okay? There could have been some financial misunderstanding. There could have been some environmental misunderstanding. There can be so many things. If those were not addressed, just trying to give this person the mental Kool-Aid is not going to solve his or her problem, right? And that's why I want to insist that wherever your audience is, whichever part of the world, they have to look for people who understand holistic well-being. It doesn't have to be my six dimensions. It can be any other dimension. But make sure you have a financial there, a social there, a spiritual there. Very important. We don't talk about spiritual well-being, but it's a very important key. Mental, physical, and uh, I'm at a missed one, environmental, whatever, right? So these dimensions need to be there. And somebody who knows these things, they should approach these people. Ask them if they can come and either just give a talk at least, at least raise the awareness, which is the minimum level. That is your, you know, yeah, pace level. If these people are even beyond that, they're able to deliver a workshop, construct some, you know, a, a workshop or a class, even better. And then, in my case, I have an entire program where I look at the business problem, like I said, co-create, we have a methodology, I have online uh, wellness audit tools that they can use. Based on that, at the back end, I then give, I, I create a dashboard that actually tells you which department, which employee, you know, what is their strengths of which well-being is required. And then in the assessment, we break down every well-being into component statements. So you can actually go down to a level of granularity that is uh, a huge appreciation point for my clients. They said we have never seen any program like this, which actually goes down to the employee to where the shoe really is pinching. So we're talking at about the toe level, right? A shoe is usually on a toe. But to know where it is pinching, that is how accurate this tool gives them information. So that is what we do because I've been in this you know, uh, line for a while. And this whole science has evolved over a period of, I would say, 10 plus years. Other people in other countries may not be at that level of maturity, but that would be what I would say they should do. Well, I think that's some great advice, Guru. And I think I think everyone's going to start calling you calling you that after this session. And I, I'm going to have to get you back again soon because I'm just enthralled by this conversation. And I I think it is one of the most important things that. No one's discussing in our technology services industry at all. It's and and it's our core. Without our people, we've got nothing. And it is very much like what you've described in this in this session today. I, I'll have to get you back to to talk even deeper and and keep the conversation going. So, thanks so much for joining me today, Hari. And I um, hope, hope people have taken a lot away from this this talk today. I really hope too. I really hope that. You know, this time that you and I spent, uh, when you multiply that by maybe hundreds or thousands of audiences, that becomes a lot of man hours. And I'm, I'm very acutely conscious that we don't want to waste human beings' lives times. So I hope this five, half an hour would be of value to people. So, yeah, thank you so much for having me, James. Thanks, Harry. I'll see you again next time.